there's, I mean, this is the highest return on investment way of getting clients that I've seen. It's low cost. The only investment is your time. Don't expect to get any replies from sending 100 emails. You're probably going to need to send a thousand before you get a client. So yeah, have, have a sort of a step-by-step process and I've had to stop it multiple times. The email marketing I get too busy. So I know that it works and I recommend it to anyone. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Webflail. I'm your host, Jack, and today my guest is Dylan Harrocks. I met Dylan for the first time in Barcelona a few weeks ago. The power of Twitter is crazy. Anyway, since then, I joined the same co-working space as him, and we've talked about the power of his subscription-based pricing model for his agency, building a network, and using cold emails to get clients. He is an email marketing genius, as well as running his agency, Nexus Creative. And we'll talk a little bit about this today during this episode. But although Nexus Creative has grown insanely fast, he has had his fair share of failure, as we're about to dig into today. The three failures we talk about are building a virtual agency that goes wrong, changing processes for clients that doesn't quite work and being too hard on himself. Dylan is an excellent speaker, very articulate, and I'm really, really excited for us to get into this episode. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 49 of Webflail with Dylan Harrocks. Dylan, welcome to Webflail. Thank you so much, Jack. Just want to say it's a big honor to be on here. I've been listening to Webflail for quite some time now. And also really great to, to be doing this with you. For all the listeners, Jack isn't just a great podcaster, he's a great person as well. It's been great to get to know you. Stop it. You're embarrassing me. No, it's, it's, and same for you, by the way, I should have said that. Dylan's a lush guy. And I think what's interesting about doing this podcast is the amount of people that I meet, but not only that, the amount of people that I meet who are very like-minded. And the second I met Dylan, I was like, bingo, I found my guy. And basically, this podcast, I feel, is going to be like an amalgamation of all the conversations we've had over the last few weeks. So I'm very excited to get into it. But before we begin, if anyone doesn't know you and hasn't actually been following you on Twitter or know really anything about you, I think you've got a really interesting background and in how you got into building Nexus Creative. And I know that that's kind of a long-winded story, but if you can just give us some highlights and a little bit of background to you, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually half English, but I've never lived in England. My accent does sound really English, so it confuses a lot of people. I was born in Portugal and then grew up in Marbella, which is in the south of Spain. From there, I had a weird upbringing. I was undiagnosed ADHD, so pretty bad in the classroom. But I always loved the creative side of things. So on the side, while I was at school, I was doing a lot of YouTube intros, you know, those 3D video intros that YouTubers used to have. So I focused on that, really enjoyed that, and then started working as an intern in some graphic design spaces. There wasn't that much graphic design going on in the south of Spain. It's more of a party place. So I ended up working for a lot of the bars and ended up being a nightclub promoter for a few years. And at the same time as doing that, while I was doing that at night, I was building up my freelance career. Ended up getting a couple of jobs here and there to do design. And COVID struck, which was... I think, you know, obviously it's been really bad for a lot of people, but it was really great for me because it really made me pivot and decide what I wanted to do. That's when I built Nexus Creative, which is very different 
to what it is now when I first built it, and I'm, we're going to go into that, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of my background. And now I'm a agency owner. We do, as you said, webflow design and development on a subscription basis. And I think part of this story that I feel like I want to draw out a little bit more is your experience as a nightclub promoter, because I feel like you've got a way of talking that is very likable. You're happy to talk to anyone. I've seen you just talk to literally anyone on any night out and stuff, and I'm so impressed by that. And I can't help feeling that maybe that is part of your success as as a Webflow and agency owner. Do you, do you think that's true? 100%. I, I don't know who I would have been if I didn't go into that line of work. I think it really brought me out of my shell. I learned how to, how to just enjoy being, you know, because it can be sometimes a little bit uncomfortable to meet new people and to sell to them and to build that trust with them. And I think, you know, the couple of years of experience I had there really taught me how to do that. And when you're doing night for promoting in Marbella, it might be a little bit different to, to wherever you listeners are from. But in Marbella, it's very much about, it's not just getting people through the door, it's getting them to buy big tables. And tables, some of them are 5,000 euros minimum spend just to get some bottles of vodka for a few hours. So to, to be able to do those type of sales and, and to do well in that industry, it's about building connections so that they'll always come back to you and, and building friendships, essentially. Uh, so I think I learned the value of, of just building that trust and not just being extremely salesy. That's how you get successful in that space. So I think everything I've done in my life, I've taken something away from it and I'm, and I'm happy for, for every uh, step in my journey, for sure. Mm. And I think one thing that Webflowers really struggle with is being a successful Webflower is not just about doing the creative work well it's actually a lot of the bit before which isn't necessarily talked about or taught on courses nearly as much as like the nuts and bolts of of webflow so for anyone that doesn't necessarily have the chance to learn to be a nightclub promoter and and how to talk to people through that method i mean how how do you think um webflowers who are at the start of their journey should think about approaching people and actually getting uh clients yeah, well, I think the biggest struggle that you have when you're shy is you're worried about saying something silly or saying something wrong. And I think when you kind of get ahead of it and, and you don't care about being silly, I think everyone could be a little bit silly. It actually does the opposite effect. You kind of get, you're like, oh, wow, they're so brave. They don't care what people think about them, you know. So I think just don't worry about how people perceive you. Don't worry about asking questions. I think that's the biggest thing. People want to seem like they're the smartest people. They want, they want to seem like they know everything. So just never be afraid of asking questions and going deeper and asking silly questions because at the end of the day, that's, to me, I think, makes, makes you look a lot smarter. Yeah, I think that goes with with both clients and and hiring as well. Just being honest about what you know and what you don't and vice versa with getting clients i think a lot of the time people try and push for a sale and be like come on i'm the best webflower out there and and actually saying look i'm not the best webflower for this but i am really good at this aspect of webflow and i recommend hiring me if you're looking for this but but not for this respect and vice versa i i imagine as an agency owner you are maybe more attracted to hire people who are like yeah i'm not actually very good at this thing but i am really really good at this thing or or whatever can you can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah so when it comes to hiring when we go into what nexus creative used to be you'll see that i hired a lot of people 
I outsourced for a lot of people and I have now sort of like a rule book of, of the type of people that I take on board and, and, and people that don't. And like we were just commenting, it's so important to, to get people that are humble and honest about what they don't know. So I'll even sometimes ask questions that I think they might not know the answer to just to see how they cope with it. A big red flag is like, if they just say, yeah, no problem, that can be done, and then not really talk about or go into it. The perfect type of answer is saying, okay, I'm not exactly sure how to do that, but I can definitely figure it out. And I think it might be something along these lines. So that's one of the, the main things I look for. Other people tend to overpromise of like what they can deliver just because they want to get the deal closed. And I think more experienced hirers or, or clients will tend to look out for that and to see if there's any pushback on any of the deadlines that they give in or what's in scope. So don't be afraid of, of, of pushing back on the initial scope and, or, or deadlines. Great advice there. <laughs> so if, if anyone's listening who's looking to get hired by an agency owner, and Dylan does hire people, so you know he is speaking from a, a position of, of knowledge, don't just say, I'm good at everything, because you're not. No one is, and that's fine. But just admit what you can and can't do, but have a really positive, proactive attitude to try and work out the the solution to whatever problem that you're being presented with. I know this from like getting in hot water by saying, yeah, I'll, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and then not being able to do it, and that is far more embarrassing. So, hey little bit of a nugget there from Dylan early on in this podcast. Dylan, are you ready to talk about your failures? I think I am. <laughs> oh, if you're not, then uh, it's a bit Let's late, my man. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about failure number one, building a virtual agency. Yes. Yeah, so at the start of Nexus Creative, I've always been very customer obsessed. Um, this is something like a mantra that I had from uh, Jeff Bezos, I'm sure you know, pretty successful guy. Uh, Never he, heard of the bloke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had a quote that goes, we're not competitor obsessed, we're customer obsessed. We start with the customer's needs and build backwards. And I was thinking, okay, in the creative space, what's the journey that a customer goes for, a client goes for, to get that work done? So if they were to go for a freelancer, the cons of doing that is maybe they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know where to start. They don't have vetted people to look for and maybe they don't exactly have the right language or terminology to describe what they need to get but the good thing of course about getting freelancers you're usually getting someone that's an expert in exactly what you need to be done i need a cursive logo you'll go to someone that's really good at cursive logos and then if you're looking at going to an agency usually some of the problems with agencies is they have to charge a lot more because they have a lot of costs they have to pay for the rent of the place they have to pay for people's wages a lot happens there so they just need to charge a little bit more mm. and with that when you go to an agency usually you're limited to their skill set or the the, the, the skill set that their roster has internally so maybe not getting someone that does that specific solution that you need so with that in mind i decided okay what i'm going to do is a virtual agency and i called it nexus creative nexus means the linking of two or more things because the idea was is i'd have 100 freelancers that i'd be connected with that i'd vet and then when I have a client that have specific needs, wants, or specific pricing, I can formulate or put together the perfect sort of team that is an, is an expert in what they need. So there's a couple of problems here. It didn't work out, mainly because the client perspective. Like, if you're looking at that, you just think, okay, you're just an outsourcing agency making a cut on being a middleman. That doesn't sound good to me. So that was one of the first things, and it would be quite a frequent sort of objection that clients would have. And I think the other thing was 
you can't trust the team that you're always hiring because they could have other things go on in their life and maybe they'll, they'll take on a job but they're actually really busy with other jobs. So it led to a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> it led to a lot of stress, just not being able to either achieve deadlines or the quality of work wasn't you know, up to par. I've had freelancers use sort of fake portfolio pieces that it was never them. If you just image trace, this is a bit, little tip here. If you're ever hiring someone, image trace or back image their, uh, their portfolio because you'll be surprised how many times it's not even theirs. Oh my God, that sounds so stressful. And I guess in your head, you were like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the perfect source for every single individual project. I'm going to make sure that this is the perfect experience for every single individual client. But actually, it was a hot mess. Yeah. And what happened as well here, and we're going to go into the processes a little bit later, but because I was, I was offering so many services, I was offering branding, web design, web development, paid ads, SEO, so many things that I wouldn't ever have a set way of doing things correctly because I would just change. For every, every project was different and every freelance had their own way of doing things. So each time was a different flow or process. And that just ended up becoming a hot mess because I just didn't know what the next steps would be. Things would get lost, things would get forgotten. So I think as I started to narrow down you know, the services that I'm doing and reduced the amount of people that we're working with to, to do that it ended up just getting so much easier to an agency it was so much better for the clients their experience and we became experts essentially in one thing instead of a jack of all trades master of none but one thing that i think is kind of interesting is that a lot of people think well, the more doors I have, the more people that can come through the doors, right? Like, I'm going to do custom logo design. I'm going to do web design. I'm going to do all this all this stuff. But like, like you say, I mean, the smaller, the narrower your focus, ironically, the more people that actually know exactly what you do and why you're the perfect solution to their problem. I know, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's counterintuitive. The less services I have, the less people that I can offer my services to, the more clients I get. That's always been a trend with me. And that's why now I'm only a Webflow agency. And it's, it's, that's been the, sort of the best decisions I've always made. I've always been decreasing the amount of services and decreasing the amount of variables. I think Blair M says this, less variables equals less outcomes. So you can be safe and you, know, you can just fine tune you know, what you're doing. But at the same time, I've learned so much from hiring so many people, from having the sort of outsource business model, you know, it's, it's almost a shortcut to be able to work with people that are better than you at certain things. So I actually learned Webflow by hiring Ethan Swero. You've had him on the podcast. He's he was fan- episode number three, I think. Yeah, He's a fantastic uh, Webflow developer. And that's how I learned what it was. And it, it was just throughout that project, I think it was a two-month project, I almost you know knew exactly how Webflow worked. I didn't know the nuts and bolts and, and all that, but I understood from the outside what makes it work. And uh, then I, I was able to go deeper and deeper in that. So it was also fun because I, I got to try so many different services in a short span of time. You know, I tried a little bit of SEO, a little bit of paid marketing, branding, and, and I fell on Webflow because, you know, we love Webflow, don't we? Come on, <laughs> that's why we're here. But it's interesting that, you know, you had this idea of what your agency was going to be and that didn't quite work out. But... The lessons that you learned from that have really, really helped you in the kind of evolution of Nexus Creative to get clients. And I think this might be a good time to talk a little bit about email because 
for anyone that doesn't know this, Dylan is shit hot at email, and I think it's probably maybe you learnt email during this phase of like trying out everything for different clients and stuff. Yeah, it was where I learned it. I think it was just an amalgamation. There's a word. (laughs) Amalgamation over time of different strategies that I knew that would work for cold outreach. And so, yeah, I have have a sort of a step-by-step process and I've had to stop it multiple times. The email marketing's, I get too busy. So I know that it works and I recommend it to anyone. So I think the first step is to make sure you have a target demographic. Everyone talks about niching. I think if you can niche, you should definitely do it. If there's some sort of area or industry that you're really passionate about it's such a quick shortcut to just become an expert so I can recommend that unfortunately I could never find anything that I loved I just wanted to bounce around different ideas too much but what I realized is I could just niche down to Webflow so that's my niche now I know that I do Webflow development so I then look at what types of clients need Webflow development and what types of clients can afford me and what types need a subscription as well so important to find a hyper-specific Um, audience that you can target now on the technical side of how you do cold email outreach you should never do it from your own email the reason is is you have a domain rating like a spam rating on each domain and if you're sending a lot of a lot of spam emails and not getting enough replies then google outlook they're going to stop looking at you and say no this guy's a a spammer so let's let's stop uh, getting this guy's emails in uh, people's inboxes so what you have to do is create two different domains, one or two different domains, similar to your name. So I'll have like maybe nexuscreatives.com or nexuscreative.co.uk. I'll have a slightly different domain and set up a 301 redirect so that people, if they were to search that domain, would land on my website anyway. Okay, so we've got the domain set up. Now we have to put that into a tool like Instantly, I recommend. That's the one I use. And... That warms up your email. You want to have it in there for 30 days. It's going to send and receive automatically emails. It wraps up. So first day, it's going to send two emails. Second day, it's going to send three. And it's just going to go like that back and forward. After 30 days, you would have accumulated a really good domain rating, which means any email you're going to send out, really high chance it's going to land in a person's inbox. So then the emails that you want to craft, I usually send, have a sequence of three emails. And they're really short. And all I'm asking is, can I send you more information? Don't ask, would you be interested in these services? We don't say, please book a a call here. It's too big of an ask, too big of a commitment. So it's a good idea to just say, hi. I mean, my email formula kind of is just, hi, my name's Dylan. And then I wanted to contact you because I felt that you could be, our services could be relevant to you. This is what we do. Can I please send you more information? That's it. Now, I have a little trip that I've been using now, and I, I don't know how effective it is because I haven't deployed it yet. But you can use ChatGPT to personalize each email. If you pay for the ChatGPT Plus, I think it's called, they've got a, like a, like a plugin where they can scrape a website. So you tell ChatGPT, scrape this person's website, make a customized email that looks something like this, and then that really personalizes it. And I'm pretty sure that's going to give a bit of a higher reply rate. So that's a hot tip there that's pretty fresh and I think is going to be really effective. Yeah, I think that's, that's the whole process there. Just make sure that you're not giving a big ask in your first emails. And it is a quantity game. You know, the more that you can send out, don't expect to get any re- replies from sending 100 emails. You're probably going to need to send 1,000 before you get a client. So uh, find strategies to, to be able to quickly do this at scale. 
Boom. Okay, gold dust. I'm just going to say back to you what you just said, because I think we need a recap. So first important point I feel is don't you don't need to niche by industry you can niche by tool which I think is not really talked about enough like a lot of people say niche 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 and um and you you're saying I'm I want to focus in on webflow that's that's the niche that you want to be in and then further than that you want to have a hyper specific idea of who your audience is and you've done that by their price and also how well you can specifically solve their problems then you need a good domain rating so don't use your personal email set up two different domains 301 redirect back to your website and then use instantly to warm up the emails from those two different domains they'll send and receive emails you'll get a good domain rating and then you can craft emails where you don't ask them to marry you from the first email guys (laughs) take them on a date first see if they would be willing for you to send more information because you feel like your services align with their services and you're going to need to send a lot of emails using chat gpt plus or something like that to scrape different websites understand exactly what their services are and how they talk and who they're about and then you can personalize them using something like that but sending a thousand emails dylan is there a better way to get clients or is this just a massive effort is there a better way? There's, I mean, this is the highest return on investment way of getting clients that I've seen. It's low cost. The only investment is your time. There is strategies to, to make this a bit easier and quicker for you. You can hire virtual assistants for really cheap. You know, in the Philippines, for example, it's quite big to, to have virtual assistants from there. They work really hard. The average salary for a virtual assistant in the Philippines is $450. So if you hire one of them, pay them $600 a month, they're going to be very happy with that wage and they're going to work really hard for you. So that's a way that you could do a little shortcut in, in, in terms of scraping, personalizing emails. But from what I've seen, all that's worked for me is cold email outreach and referrals. Uh, that's it. In my t- but I know other people have got success from LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a really good one. I think that works more if you're niched. So if you can actually give specific problems and show them case studies to the people in that niche, that, that can be really effective. But there is a lot of people on LinkedIn spamming, so you have to really stick out. Interesting. I mean, for for those people that are like, you need to build a profile on social. You need to post every day on Twitter. You need to, there's quite a lot of different opinions about this. Where do you sit on, you know, whether you should be hyperactive on, on social or how important that is? What do you think about that? I think it really depends on your goals. I think it's a good idea for everyone to have a personal brand and try to build that up. Uh, better to do it sooner than later. You know, if you could just post some of your work that you're doing, some things that you're interested in. I've only done this recently with Twitter. I'm posting a lot of insights and things that I've learned and tips, you know, like this email outreach tips. And I think it's just good to have because it's good social credibility. If you've got a lot of followers on, on social media and you're posting a lot about it, it shows the clients that you care and that you know what you're talking about, and the people, this guy knows what he's talking about, we're going to follow him. And then the other thing is that anything you wanted to launch in the future, let's say you have like a new tool, a new platform, it's so easy to do it once you have an audience, because you just automatically for free have hundreds of people see it, or thousands, if you're lucky. What I want to ask you now is failure number two because i feel like these are very interlinked changing processes for clients yeah it was really hard to have processes when you have loads of offerings and you have lots of different types of clients 
And I've realized that, you know, you have this sort of notion that if I can accommodate the client as much as possible, if I can do it whatever, however they want to do it, they're going to be really happy with me. We're going to have a great uh, engagement. They're going to recommend me to lots of people. But if, I've found it to be the opposite effect, actually. So one of my early clients, when I signed them, I was really excited. They were quite a big client you know, for me at that point. And as soon as we went into the, the engagement, they said, OK, but we, we don't talk on Slack. We talk on Microsoft Teams. We don't use Asana. We use Trello. What else was it? It was like, we take meetings on here. We want updates from you in this certain way on Notion. And it was like, okay, yep, I'll do it whichever way you need me to do it, no problem. But what would end up happening is I would forget what, what to say to them or, or like when to update them. It would just cause more stress on me because I didn't know, you know how, how they exactly they wanted to do it in their way. It was actually take away from my bandwidth where I couldn't look after my current clients. And then they ended up being a little bit unhappy because the engagement wasn't up to like the, the standards that they expected. Now I found that if I, if I have, have a set process, it's called an SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, and clients can come on board. They have a portal where they can upload the tasks that need to, need to do. They can message me on Slack, and they can only have meetings once a week, which they can book through, through a link. And outside of that, you know, I don't step out of it. And then there's also a bit of a parallel thing, which isn't processes, but it's types of tasks that I take on. I love to have a challenge. I love to take on something I don't know how to do just because it'll be fun to do it. Always be transparent about not knowing. I never, you know, like going back to what we were saying before, I'll say I don't know how to do it, but I think it will be using an API system and we could probably do it this way. But for me, especially with a subscription service, by offering stuff outside of Webflow or accepting tasks outside of Webflow, a task that we think take two hours end up taking 10 hours just because I didn't know exactly how to do the API call and, and, and these type of hookups. And then that just becomes a bit unfair to the rest of the people within and, you know, my subscription. So it's also a good idea to be strict with what you can do. If you have a subscription service, what you can do within that. Or if you're doing a, you know, standard agency where, you, where you're just doing it by deliverables, to not go out the scope too much. Even though I know it's hard to tell the client that it's not a scope, but it's important to do that because it's just going to give you more stress and also create a bit of friction between you and the client if you're unhappy about doing stuff that they don't even know that you're unhappy about. Awesome. Okay, nuggets to break down there. So one thing is that if you're constantly changing your process for different clients, it's going to be a bit of a head fuck for both you and for them because it's going to have a knock-on effect when you know, you're trying to work out what the hell's going on and they're expecting you to try and lead the process a bit, but then, you know, you're not, the expectations aren't quite aligned. So I think that's a really important point that you've just said there, that try and have a really clear system that you operate with and that you can say to your clients, look, in my experience, this is how there's the most streamlined process when we work together. And I know that maybe you haven't used Slack before or whatever it is, but this is how I want to work with you and this is how I think it would be best to work together and and here's how I operate and if you don't like that then you know that's totally fine but maybe we're not aligned to work together or whatever it is and then the other thing you talked about there was SOPs write down what your process is every time you do a client project do a post-mortem work out what went well what didn't go well and then you can change your SOPs accordingly, hopefully, just so that it's super, super tight. And then if you were to hire someone like Dylan has, he's got a clear roadmap. It's like, hey, this is how I do onboarding. This is how I send out proposals. This is how I do whatever. Probably the, the other way around there in the process. But anyway, point still stands the same. Write down what you're doing and who you're doing it for.
And I think one thing that you're saying there as well, when we're talking about setting processes in place, the more responsibility or, or the more sort of like the, the more that you push how things should be done, the less the client feels responsible to do it themselves. I found so if you over communicate, they're they're not going to feel like they need to be in charge of checking up on you and and seeing if you're, if you're doing the work. And if you tell them this is the way that we do things, they don't feel like they have to tell you how to do things. So it just creates a more positive engagement all around. I found. Yeah, I think there's an element at the start of the engagement where you need to kind of set your stall out and say, look, here's how we're going to do things. I'm going to guide you by the hand. Here's how this process is going to work. And if that doesn't quite happen at the start, what I've found is it's kind of like letting a bad child like run amok. And if any clients are listening, I love you dearly. You do need to kind of guide the process with a little bit of a firm hand at the start and just say, look, this is how it's best to do things. And here's the process that we're going to do together. And here's the result that we're going to get at the end. And here's step one, because otherwise it, the process, the kind of the dynamic doesn't quite work work i've found or it can kind of go awry unless you have quite a tight handle over the uh project management side of things which is kind of what the sops um does because you don't need to think about what you're going to do next it's just like well here's what we're going to do here's the roadmap and kind of we just need to take the first step and and go through this motions a bit so yeah very important let's touch on subscription based um agency model because this is the hot topic in the webflow space you've obviously had an experience at the start of your agency when you were like we offer everything for everyone and then you've kind of gone in the opposite direction to be like we don't offer you know anything to anyone we have a very clear pattern we have a very clear model and here's how it's going to work so can you tell us a little bit about why you chose subscription-based model and how your experience is yeah okay well i think to go into that as well i'd like to just there's four different types of pricing models or pricing strategies i think you could do you could price by input, which is the hours that you work and the materials that are incurred in that process. And this is usually the lowest risk. It means that if you work more hours, the client assumes the risk and they have to pay for more. Obviously, that's that's great because you're probably never going to go bankrupt doing it that way. But the negatives are it's quite hard to grow over time. And you know, you, 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 like the only way that you're going to grow is if you either get a lot more employees and a lot more clients, or you start charging a lot more. But some of the negatives there is when you charge by hour, you start to get really easy to compare with other agencies and you don't want to let clients fish for, for the price like that. You don't, you don't want to sort of create that mindset. Then you have the other pricing strategy, which is uh, by deliverables or by output. And so this is, you say, okay, by the end of this, you're going to have a five-page website, for example. You're assuming more risk here. So because of that, you're going to add some padding. You're going to add some buffer. You've charged maybe 30 to 50% more because maybe it goes over those hours. And I, I recommend that sort of strategy if you've got more experience and you just generally know how long things take. It gets easier as well if you offer less services because when you offer more services, things can take a lot longer than you expect or, or the other way around a lot less, which is a win, I suppose, in that, in that space. Then you have value-based pricing. This is something Christo talks a lot about and Blair Renz with their pricing creativity book. This is where you're looking at the desired future state of the client. So you're saying, okay, after we do this project, how much are you going to win? Like, what are you going to get from this? Client, you know, after having extensive conversations, maybe the client will say, oh, we're probably going to make 100K from this project. And you're, you, what you should do is trying to get a commission from that or a percentage of that. And if it's sort of 
put forward before if you're going to get paid before the project finishes then that percentage should be a lot less but if you're going to take on more risk so maybe you'll say a money back guarantee if we don't achieve what you want then you could charge a lot more maybe 50% of whatever they're whatever they're trying to achieve or the the reward that they get from that I tried to do value-based pricing I struggled with it to be honest it's you have to be really good at sales calls you have to really find a way to show the client the type of value that you're, you're going to provide and they have to be quite clued up you always have to be speaking to the uh, sort of senior decision maker you can't talk to maybe the head of marketing you actually need to talk to the CEO or founder to make these type of decisions so I, I struggled with it I tried tried with it for a while but for some people I know it works amazingly it's a quick way to, to scale and and increase your income then we have subscription-based pricing and the best decision i made in my life was moving into this i had so many ups and downs prior to this where i'd have one month and i'd make 30 grand oh my god best month ever then i'd have three months of not getting any work in or two months of not get, or hardly getting any work in now i've got much more stable sort of revenue coming in i can make a lot more intelligent or better decisions because i can expect what's going to be coming in and it's really easy as well because it's packaged up so well that I don't have these long sales pipelines. I don't have to understand exactly all the deliverables that they have, try to send them you know, these long proposals that only half of them maybe get approved. So it's just been a lot easier for me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Of course, there's a lot less clients that need this type of service. Uh, and just for anyone that doesn't actually know, I, I don't think we've explained what subscription uh, based, like based services Clients, they, my fees are now £3,500 a month. They can subscribe and they can request unlimited tasks. And when we say unlimited, this is a term that I'm not really sure is the right one always, but it essentially means that they can add as many tasks as they want within the portal and we will go through them one at a time. And maybe some tasks are done within 24 hours. Some tasks are done, you know, maybe it takes three or four days if it's a whole page to be, to be completed. So... That's kind of how the subscription works. It's good if clients need to scale and they don't want to hire someone, it's a good alternative to them instead of hiring. There's a lot of risk associated when you hire someone. You've got sick leave, you know, they could, maybe they're not doing very good work, so you have to fire them, but that's a bit complicated. Um, so that's, that's the type of clients that enjoy uh, the subscription service. And, uh, yeah. So you take on how many clients? We've got nine at the moment. And we've just recently increased the pricing. It's three thousand um, pounds before. So all the clients that were subscribed then have kept that old pricing. And so we're making around twenty five, twenty twenty five grand a month through the Webflow subscription. And then, you know, I, I hope that this is just going to keep increasing now that I've, I'm um, building the team up. I've you know making recent hires, and it's just. I, I'm still very customer obsessed. As we said at the beginning, I still want to make sure that we're providing the best service possible. So I'm trying not to scale too quickly and, and slow down with the clients. Interesting. And your team is how many people now? We are four, four people now, four or five. Okay. I've got a virtual assistant, so five that we talked about before. And I mean, this is a really interesting period for you because I guess you're trying to extricate yourself from the work to be more high-level thinking? And how are you finding that process? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. It's only recently that I've made a decision now that I need to just focus on the business and growing the business. I love Webflow, and so I spent a lot of time working on the client projects myself directly. I, in my head, because I do want to just keep improving my skills in Webflow, I want to 
you know, get to the best I can be. But it's just ended up me plateauing because I don't want to take more clients on because I, I haven't got enough time to focus on, you know, the marketing side of things and make sure project management's going well for, for everyone. So it's only recently I took some time off work and I looked at it and I've, I've decided that if I want Nexus Creative to be what I want it to be, which is a leading Webflow agency with the coolest people working at it and I want to empower everyone that works at Nexus Creative, I have a vision to, to really, you know, kind of do how, how well FinSuite's doing with empowering all of their, you know, people. And I want everyone to have a sort of personal brand within Nexus. And for me to be able to grow to, to something like that, I need to focus on the business instead of working in the business. It's really weird that you say this. Joe, Joe Krug, I actually interviewed last week for episode 50. That's going to be dropping after your episode, Dylan. But he talks a lot about how he basically tried to build the business by finding people that had similar characteristics to him which I thought was a really, really interesting way to build and grow. Essentially, he was saying that a lot of people try and find people that are incredible at one particular technical element that you can't do, right? Like that's your hiring to plug the gaps, as it were. But he actually said something really interesting about finding people who wanted, who were as excited about his vision as he was. And and I think that's part of the success and the secret sauce of FinSuite is that he's kind of empowered employees to have their own yeah their own personal brand and their own and their own voice as part of FinSuite. But anyway, I can't wait listen to, hear to that, that, that yeah. episode. <laughs> it's going to be it's, great. It's it's really weird. A lot of the stuff that you're saying is is very it overlaps a lot with with him. I recommend checking out that episode next week. And for anyone that's listening as well, if they're interested in building an agency, that's coming. Talk to me about failure number three, being too hard on yourself. Yes. So this was something that I, well, I struggled for for many years. I had ADHD my whole life, obviously, and I've only now fully understood it and been formally diagnosed with it maybe six months ago. And it's led me to understand a lot more about myself and why I'd have maybe certain you know, insecurities of being hard on myself, essentially. I would go through these phases and I'd, I'd go through these like times where I know I had a lot of work to do, but I feel so overwhelmed that I just couldn't do it. And then I just, I'd be blocked, I'd be frozen. And then because of that, I'd feel really bad. And when I feel really bad, I didn't want to do work. And it was this constant spiral that, that didn't feel good. And I thought there was something wrong with me. Well, I guess there is ADHD, but I thought like, okay, I'm, I'm never going to amount to anything if I'm always being like this. And the only time I wasn't like this is if I was doing directly client work for some reason. I just, again, maybe a people pleaser here, but I just wanted to, to do that well. But if it was ever work for myself that no one else was depending on, I would struggle so much to, to get started on it. And then since discovering that I've got ADHD, I've learned a lot of strategies that help me not feel so bad about what I'm doing. Everyone has bad days, which is completely fine. You know, if you have a bad day, just let it be a bad day and, and do what you can. And if not, just go for a walk. And, and that, that usually helps a lot, listen to some music. It's, it's one thing that I do a lot as well, is just look back at all these times that I felt like this and how much I've achieved since then and just understand that, you know, that, that's how, how, how it can get sometimes. And I think also there's a ton, common, common tendency with business owners and probably actually all types of people comparing ourselves a lot we see so many people on twitter on all these places 
that are doing so much, just starting like three businesses, they're like growing here, they're making loads of money there, and it just looks all so cushy from the outside. And I think, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, they're, they're probably having bad days and they're struggling to, to do stuff and to get motivated. And everyone has phases where you get really excited and other phases where you don't. So anyone listening, you're not alone. I think a lot of us go through this with or without ADHD. Thanks so much for sharing that. I feel like, you know, there might be people who are looking at you, Dylan, thinking, damn, this guy is where I want to be. And he doesn't seem to have any problem. I mean, he's got his life sorted. You know, he's got 25k a month coming in from his subscription based model. And he's gone through all these failures. And now he's on the other side. And now his life looks so pretty in Barcelona, doesn't it, Dylan? (laughs) That's probably what some people are thinking. But what you're saying is, actually, you know, you still have good days and bad days. And mental health is not it's not like you're immune to mental health problems, regardless of, of where you are in life. It's kind of like this constant thing that you need to, to work on and find strategies that that you can employ at certain times, depending on how you're feeling. Yeah, and I think talking about it as well, every time I talk about it, it feels less bad. So it gets like less of the wound. I've, I've got Felicia, which is my, my partner, and I talk to her a lot about these things, and she helps me through any time that I'm feeling demotivated, just to get excited about life and, and that things are... Are good so try to you know not keep it within you if you if you've got a partner speak to your partner if you've got your mum and dad speak to your mum and dad if you if you've got twitter speak to me we're all here to to help each other out in the community so i think talking yeah. about it is important i think coming off the back of what you said there and, and linking back to earlier in the conversation you know we talked about what's the point of posting on social media and i think some people use social media as a kind of strategy there's an outcome based thing that i want to achieve i want to grow an audience i want to do this that and the other but you know at the same time as much as there are people that are using social media because of uh, you know an outcome based goal that they really want to have just being social is healthy. You know, freelancers, we're all sitting behind a laptop being like, oh my God, this is the most serious project I'll ever do or whatever. And we probably think that like a lot and get stressed and we think, oh my God, like this is the worst day of my life. But actually there's a lot of people out there that might be going through the same stuff, might be having the same doubts, might be seeing the same stuff on social media about how much money other people are earning that you're not and feeling low. And and that's a big reason why connecting with the the right people on social media and being social on social media, you know, actually messaging people that, you know, you might be like, hey, this seems like a cool girl or guy. Let's just DM them and see if they want to have a coffee or whatever. It is really, really powerful. So shout out to the Webflow community for just being so supportive. But if you're listening and you're like, oh, I just I don't really know if I really want to put, put myself out there and talk to people. It, it it can be, you know, super beneficial just from the point of view of knowing there are other people out there like you. And I think you're you're doing a great job as well, Jack, by, you know, the London meetup that you've done, that would, I wish I could have made it, but that would have been so helpful, I think, for a lot of people just to make new friends. When you came to Barcelona, we you introduced me to a lot of people. So that's really great. So if you want to also make a lot more friends, just meet Jack and, and he'll hook you up. <laughs> J- jokes aside, though, like, no, jokes aside, it is actually crazy doing Webflail how many amazing people I've met through through the podcast. And uh, Who's your yeah. favourite, though? <laughs> oh, well, you're sat in front of me, so I'm going to say you. No. That's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, there's answer. so many amazing people that I've, that I've interviewed or that I've spoken to 
after having, you know, they might have listened to an interview and want to chat about it or at the London meetup. I'm pretty sure a lot of people came who who actually weren't on the invite list and were just I, I have no idea who you are but some of them were amazing as well um uh, there was a girl who just walked in and she wanted a slice of pizza and i just chatted to her and i think she thought she was getting like ratted out like as if she, but she just wanted a slice of pizza she just came in and um we had a great chat she was like to be honest <laughs> i just came in for a slice of pizza so it's crazy how you you meet such interesting people just by virtue of, of having a podcast and doing mm-hmm. events and, and and trying to connect people. So anyway, rant over, go and talk to, you know, people, whether that's in person, if there's an event near you, I gazillion percent recommend going. But also the second best thing is is just reaching out to the Twitter community of the Webflowers because they are lush. Nice. Um, but to circle back to what you said about ADHD, I think there's a few webflowers that I've met, Matt Evans, Penny Laurentiaux, a few others that have ADHD. And you said at the start of talking about ADHD that, you know, it's something that you, you struggle with. But actually, having known you for a little bit, I think it's a little bit of a superpower for you in some respects. Can you tell us about the positives of ADHD and how actually, in some instances, it's like, boom, I feel like I can smash this out of the park. Yeah, well, I think I'm just get I could get really excited about something and hyper focused into something. So, which is good and bad thing because you know that feeling that you get when you're when you have a new idea and you're trying to go to sleep and all you can think about is that and it's r- racing through your brain. I can have just periods of that where I can, I'm like that for hours in front of my computer trying to get something done. So I think that's a really big positive. I think I can also, especially with the subscription thing, I've got a lot of things that are like. A lot of plates that I'm spinning at the same time, tasks I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get done, and my brain can sort of cope with that. It can it can understand like okay, I've got to do this, that, that, that. And the negative there is, you know, task switching isn't always the best thing. I do have to I try to time block so that I don't task switch, but at the same time, it means I can always be sort of on top of things because of that. And I'm not sure if this is an ADHD thing, but it has helped. I think because I'm a little bit hyper sometimes, it can really be fun to connect with people and, and have. Uh, conversations that go pretty far and, and deep especially with you jack we've had some of those we we yeah i mean within 10 minutes of meeting you we were talking about what is the meaning of life <laughs> i i don't have adhd but maybe this is just the deep the deepness trying to get to the grit in the oyster you know i don't really want to talk about the weather i think this is you know i don't really do the small talk very well i actually got told that at a wedding the other day this guy was like you don't do small talk very well, do you? Because I just asked her what the meaning of life was. Anyway, okay, so we've talked a lot about subscription modeling. We've talked a lot about email. I feel like you are you are what a lot of people's version of success would look like. But you've told me before the interview that you've got more to go. What's next for Dylan? Uh, yeah, so, okay. That's something that I started, like I just said before, I've taken some time off now and just wanted to like look at the business from an outside perspective or where I want it to go. And it seems to be very similar to FinSuite. It seems to be my mission quite aligned with what they want to do, but I think they are more geared towards creating products for the Webflow community. I just want to have a team within the Webflow community that we're, we're, we're growing and that everyone's extremely happy and proud to be part of Nexus Creative. And I want it to almost be like, oh yeah, I work at Nexus Creative, like a bragging right. I think that'd be so cool. And just serve like some of the coolest clients 
And I think that that would be like my next two-year plan to try, try and position myself there and give a lot of value as well. I, I think that I'm doing that now, at least I'm trying to on Twitter, just everything I know, just share all of that value. So I think that's one of the ways that, that I'll get there. And I also, I've got this itch to teach people. I love to like, I've never had a mentor, but I'd love to be a mentor, I feel like. It's one of these, I think you learn a lot more by teaching. So maybe that would be something that I'd like to go into later on, so like helping people build themselves up. And yeah, and then after that, I think I've sort of got this idea, which is very abstract at the moment, but I'd love to actually have a few different agencies. So we've got Nexus Creative, that does like web and, and maybe it'll go into branding as I, as I grow and, and, and maybe that's a path that makes sense. But then I'd maybe like to do something like Nexus Marketing, which focuses on, on helping clients, you know, through maybe social media marketing, maybe some like email outreach marketing, because I, of course, know quite a bit of that. And it'd be cool to have like a little bit of an umbrella or a Nexus, you can call it, of Nexuses. <laughs> hey. See what you did there. Yeah. And, and then with that, maybe, you know, this is maybe like a five, 10 year plan is acquire companies that aren't doing so great digitally. Maybe they've got great infrastructure, they're old companies, and kind of put them through the uh, sort of process of, of, of all these channels and digitize them, make them really cool companies, and then either sell them or keep them within a portfolio. I think that would be a cool, fun thing for me to do, especially ADHD, just loads of new projects every, every couple of months would be cool. Wow. Okay. So yeah, let's let's stick to stick to a simple plan then. Okay. You've got your work cut out, man. I guess step one is consolidate your team in Nexus Creative right now with, with your subscription based business model. And maybe once you kind of get higher level as you build a team that are really, really strong without you and get your systems and processes down, then you can maybe Focus a little bit more on audience building and see where it goes from there, I guess. Definitely. Ex- exciting times ahead. We'll have to have you back on Webflow um, in a year's time because I feel like in a year you're going you're gonna to rock it. You've Thank you. I'm glad you so... believe in me. Dude, I, am, I, am, I back you. I, I really, yeah, you, you're going to go places. I'm going to stop getting all gushy at the end of this. Tell me about what your next failure is going to be well i uh, of course i've listened to this podcast a lot so i knew it was coming i can't pretend that i was surprised but it's funny because it ties into just what we're talking about now i'm probably going to be too spread myself too thin and focus on too many projects at once and try to get too much done so i think i i, I constantly have to remind myself to, to ground myself and, and stay focused on, on one track so my next failure will be spreading myself too thin Dylan, it's been an honor having you on Webflow. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing money information, subscription, emails, ADHD. This episode's had it all. Thanks so much to listening to episode 49 of Webflow. And thank you to Dylan for sharing so many nuggets on this podcast. I feel like this episode was just full of very practical advice and possibly the most important part of the in the episode for me, the biggest takeaway was about email marketing. Now, a lot of people in the Webflow space are maybe more focused on 
doing Webflow and, and that's kind of, you know, their bread and butter. But actually to do Webflow, you need to get clients in order for that to be, you know, your mainstay as a freelancer, right? So getting clients is crucial. Now, Dylan has seemingly got a system that really works for him to ensure he has a consistent stream of clients. This cold email strategy where he sets up more than one email, warms up the email, and then can essentially send out emails that are perfected to a T using ChatGPT to ensure that the content is actually interesting and it really resonates with the person that receives the email seems to be a crucial tactic that he's used to actually ensure he has consistent clients and also just warming up people and making them aware of Nexus Creative. It's something that's not talked about very much in the Webflow space. A lot of people talk about social media, um, a lot of people talk about Fiverr and Upwork, but actually cold emailing seems to be a big one that uh, Dylan you know, recommends and, and potentially you could try out too. The other thing that I think is worth talking about in this outro is the importance of his subscription-based pricing model and how that has completely changed the game for him as an agency owner. A lot of people are thinking more and more about subscription-based pricing after, you know, Brett from DesignJoy has um, popularized it and uh, various other people have switched to that model. It's definitely something that I'm going to be looking into and uh, potentially it's worth interesting, sorry, it's worth exploring for you as well if you're um, a freelancer or an agency owner that is struggling to get consistent income coming in and maybe wants to explore a completely different model for themselves. Next week, it's episode 50, guys. Mental. Um, so, so uh, pleased to get to that milestone and we have a big guest on, Joe Krug, founder of FinSuite. He will be coming on to speak to us about how to hire, how to grow an agency, what his mindset is for FinSuite, and how the roadmap is going to play out moving forward. Very excited for that episode. Have a great week, Webflavers. Webflavers.